Praise the Lord. Of you, I would like you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 20. When you came in this morning, you saw that the Easter decorations are still up, including on the cross behind me. And you might have wondered, well, I wonder why all the Easter decorations are still up. Well, that's because we're still celebrating. We're celebrating our risen Savior. And I want to continue to look at John's account in John chapter 20 this morning. Last Sunday, we looked at the first 10 verses. This morning, we're going to finish the chapter. So I've entitled the message this morning, Seeing the Risen Christ. Seeing the Risen Christ. Last weekend, of course, we celebrated the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And we noted that the resurrection of Jesus is the single most important event in all of human history. This is why it is mentioned in every sermon in the book of Acts, and it is mentioned in almost every book of the New Testament. All four of the gospel accounts record the details of those three days, providing for us detailed eyewitness accounts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that are central to our Christian faith. We noted that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, had come down to this earth and was born as a human being. And he was named Yeshua, or Jesus. He came to live the life that we could not live. A perfect, sinless life. And then, to lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He became the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we who believe in him would be cleansed of all sin and credited with his perfect righteousness. Jesus died and rose again to conquer sin, to conquer Satan, and to conquer death for us. He died so that we might live eternally, eternal life in Him. After His death, He was taken down from the cross, and He was buried in a borrowed tomb according to the burial custom of the Jews. And there His body would lay within the sealed and guarded tomb until the morning of the third day, which was the first day of the week. That's when he rose from the dead in a glorified human body and began appearing to his followers so that they could see him and know that he had risen from the dead just as he had told them he would. Today I want to look briefly at three of those post-resurrection appearances as recorded by John who was one of those eyewitnesses. And we will consider what those appearances meant to them and what they mean to us today. 
Now, in order to understand what these appearances meant to Jesus' followers, we need to try to understand the frame of mind that they were in at the time of the death and burial of Jesus. If you were in the Sunday school class this morning, we talked about that. The death and burial of Jesus had been devastating to his followers. They were devastated. These men and women had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had spent three years living and traveling with him and supporting his ministry. And they had put their faith and trust in him as their rabbi and believed, in fact, that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They expected him to triumphantly ascend to the throne of David, becoming the king of Israel and extending his kingdom over all the earth. And you know what? They could hardly wait for the blessings that would come to them as friends of the king. But all of that changed on Friday. Instead of ascending to his throne... Jesus was betrayed, arrested, tried, beaten, crucified, and he died. Several of the women along with John had been eyewitnesses to his agonizing death upon the cross and saw the Roman soldier plunge his spear into Jesus' side to verify that he was indeed dead. They had seen his dead body taken down, prepared for burial, and placed into the tomb. It is safe to say that all of their hopes and dreams of their beloved rabbi being their Messiah had been shattered. They were devastated. How could they have been so wrong? They spent the next day in sorrow, in grief, in gloom and despair, and in fear. Fear of what would happen next. Fear that the Jews, the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leaders would do to them what they had done to Jesus. Nevertheless, they had loved Jesus. And so they desired to pay him the respect that he was due and to honor and mourn him in his burial. It was the custom of the Jews to go to the grave and mourn their dearly departed for Anywhere from three to seven days of mourning, a period of mourning. So on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath was over, several of the women courageously walked to the tomb with spices to anoint the body of Jesus and to begin that period of mourning outside of his tomb. But what they found at his tomb was not at all what they had expected. 
Upon arriving, they found that the heavy stone had been removed from the entrance to the tomb. And when they looked inside, they could see that Jesus' body was not there. As we read last week, Mary Magdalene, one of the women, immediately ran to tell the other disciples what they had seen. Luke tells us that the other women entered the tomb and heard the announcement from an angel that Jesus had ridden, risen, just as he said. Then they also left to go tell the others. Last Sunday, we saw from John's gospel that Mary found Peter and John, told them what she had seen, and they ran on ahead of her to the tomb. Entering into the tomb, they found the grave cloths lying undisturbed on a shelf as though a body should be in them. But the body was gone. Not knowing what to do next, John tells us they went back to their homes. After they left, Mary Magdalene returns to the tomb all alone. And she stood outside of the tomb weeping the the word here in the greek means wailing sobbing almost uncontrollably she was completely overwhelmed and did not understand what was happening where had the body gone had someone moved the body her questions were about to be answered and this is where john continues his account look with me at john chapter 20 verse 11 But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. This is one of the most moving accounts in all of Scripture. Mary's love and respect for Jesus had drawn her back to his tomb. She is in mourning over the death of the one who had seen her. The one who had delivered her from her sin. The one who had loved her as her beloved rabbi. With tear-filled eyes, she stoops to look down into the tomb. And she sees two angels sitting on the bench where the body of Jesus had been. John tells us that they ask her, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary responds that she's weeping because they had taken away the body of her Lord and she did not know where they had taken it. Who the they are, she didn't know. But they had done this. Then Mary either hears someone behind her or perhaps one of the angels gestures to her to turn around. And as she does, she sees someone. Look at verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, 
Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Mary turns from the tomb and saw a man standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. Now, how is this possible? Well, there's at least two possible answers. First, she may have been divinely prevented from recognizing him. Just as would happen later that day with two other disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember that story. They leave Jerusalem absolutely downcast and disheartened because the man they thought was their Messiah was dead and buried. And they're going home. And suddenly, Jesus appears and starts walking with them. And they don't recognize him. And the text tells us they were prevented to divinely. So it's possible that this was just a divine intervention. But a second possibility is that she may have simply been so emotionally distraught, eyes filled with tears, and not expecting to see Jesus alive and standing there. John tells us that Mary thought maybe this man might be a gardener, and perhaps he knew where they had taken the body of Jesus. But her confusion is cleared up when Jesus calls her by name. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. I've got goosebumps right now. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It actually means precious teacher or beloved teacher. Rabbi is teacher. Rabboni is a term of endearment. My precious teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But, I, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. As an act of love and compassion, Jesus calls her by name. And her eyes are opened so that she sees him. And you know what? That is exactly what Jesus still does today. He calls those who are his by name. And he opens our eyes to see him in all of his glory. For all of us, he calls us out of the darkness, out of our blindness. He calls us, and we who are his sheep know his voice. He opens our spiritual eyes so that we might see him 
and see his glory as our Savior. We hear the voice of Jesus calling to us through his gospel, through his glorious word, and all who are his sheep respond and follow him. Mary is once again overcome with emotion, but now it is overwhelming joy. She wants to just hold on to Jesus. But he tells her to go to my brothers and say to him, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. There's something very significant I want you to see here. This is the first time that Jesus refers to his followers as his brothers. And that is because Jesus has now completed the work that was needed for us to be adopted into the family of God. For us to become Jesus' brothers and sisters, joint heirs with him. From this point on, all who believe in Christ are adopted into the family of God. Amen? What a privilege. What a blessing that is. Mary, probably reluctantly, leaves Jesus to go tell the others. And she tells them, I have seen the Lord. And to tell them that he had said these things to her. What joy she must have felt To be the first person to see Jesus in his glorified body and to talk with him. But there were many more appearances to come. The next thing that John tells us in his gospel is that the disciples get to see Jesus. Mary had let the disciples know that she had seen and talked to Jesus. But apparently... She was not initially believed. Imagine that. A very emotional woman crying, now tears of joy, comes to the disciples and says, I've seen Jesus and he spoke to me. And they're like, mm-hmm, right. Then other women would also come to the place where the disciples were gathered and they would tell them that they had seen Jesus also and that he had spoken to them. Then later that afternoon, Jesus also appeared to Peter. And then later in the afternoon to the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. And those two men ran back to Jerusalem To let the other disciples know that they had seen the Lord. So by that evening, many of the followers of Christ had gathered together to hear these eyewitness accounts of seeing the risen Christ. And they must have been wondering if this was really happening and what did it all mean? John chapter 20 verse 19 tells us what happens next. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you, or Shalom. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad and they, when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The disciples are gathered behind locked doors because of their fear of the Jewish leaders. When suddenly, Jesus appears standing among them and announcing to them, Shalom. Luke in his account tells us that they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit or a ghost. That's why Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? That's in Luke's account. Jesus knew exactly what they were thinking, exactly what they were feeling. He knew that they were scared and confused and he knew that some of them had doubts. Remember, they had reason to doubt. This had never happened before. Never. In the history of mankind had a man risen from the dead in a glorified body. Jesus was the first and the only to this day. So Jesus offers them proof that it is truly him by showing them the scars that he had suffered on the cross. His hands. His side, where the spear had penetrated. Now these wounds are no longer bleeding. They're healed. They're glorified. But they were still there. So the disciples could know this indeed was the one who died on the cross. It was him, their rabbi, their savior, their Lord. And John writes, Then the disciples were glad, for they saw the Lord. In Luke's account, Jesus invited them to touch him, to see that he was not a spirit, but had a real but glorified body. Luke also tells us that he ate with them. They prepared some food, and he ate with them to demonstrate to them he was no spirit. This was no illusion. He was risen from the dead. John goes on to tell us that Jesus informed his disciples that he would be sending them out to be his witnesses. And he would give them the Holy Spirit to go with them to help them accomplish the work that they were sent out to do. What a joyous time that first Easter Sunday evening must have been. Incredible. There must have been many more questions for Jesus. We have no idea how long he met with them or what else was discussed by them. But we do know that one of his 12 disciples was not 
present that night. His name was Thomas. And his story should sound familiar to us. John tells us that for some reason Thomas was not present that night with the others who saw Jesus. So they did exactly what each and every follower of Christ are called to do. They told him about their encounter with Jesus. They witnessed to Thomas. They testified to Thomas as to what they had seen and heard. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, quote, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So here are the other followers of Christ, how many we do not know. Perhaps two or three dozen that had been in that upper room a week before. On that first Easter evening. And they are telling Thomas what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had felt, what Jesus had done. But Thomas refused to believe them. And of course, we know he's been known ever since as Doubting Thomas. That phrase is actually in our dictionaries. A doubting Thomas is someone who refuses to believe the eyewitness testimony of someone. But before we are too hard on him, because some of you I saw nodding your heads like, how could he not believe? You don't have to raise your hands, but uh, I know. Because I did the same thing the first time I read this account. I'm like, are you kidding me? How could he not believe? But remember, we're reading all of this 2,000 years later. We know the end of the story. They didn't. So before we're too hard on him, let's remember that the other disciples had also not initially believed Mary or the other women who told them that they had seen and talked to Jesus. It just made no sense to them. He'd been crucified. He died. He'd been buried. How could he now be alive? But then he appeared to them, and now all their doubts were gone. Thomas wanted to see and experience what they had. And he stated that nothing short of that would convince him. Now, there's two really important lessons for us to learn from this passage. First, the disciples could not change his mind. Now think about that for just a second, okay? These men whom he'd known and lived with for three years, right? He knew they were trustworthy. And there were others along with them that verified that what they were saying was true. And yet they could not change his mind. And that is still true of us today. 
We are called to be Christ's witnesses. We are called to go tell others what we have come to know and experience. We have experienced Christ's life-changing power in our lives. Amen? Oh, come on. We are eyewitnesses to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? We're eyewitnesses. We've experienced it. We've been changed by the power of Christ. We have seen Jesus with our spiritual eyes and it has changed our lives and we will never be the same. And we can and should share this with others. But only God can give them the gift of saving faith so that they will believe. Only God can change an unbeliever into a true believer. It is the Spirit of God who gives the faith to believe. And we need to accept that. That's why we pray for God to do that for those we love and care about. We pray that God would change their heart, change their mind, bring them into saving faith. And we continue to witness. And that's the second thing I want us to see here. The second important lesson that we see in this very situation Even though they could not change his mind, they did not reject him. Note that. They didn't reject Thomas. They didn't say, go home then if you're not going to believe us. Instead, what did they do? They continued to witness to him. They continued to invite him to be with them. I said earlier, we had 12 visitors last Sunday, and about half of those were first-time visitors to the church. And I thank you for going out and inviting people, handing out flyers, so that those individuals would come and experience a gathering of those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They would experience us worshiping the God who saved us. Because then they can see with their own eyes what God does and hear with their own ears His praises. They didn't reject Thomas. Instead, they continued to reach out to him. This explains why he is in the room with them one week later. This is the following Sunday evening. They're gathered together in that same upper room. And this tells us that we should not give up on those that God has placed into our lives as well. Because when God is ready, He will give them the eyes to see who Jesus is. I am so grateful. So grateful for all of those who shared the gospel with me for many years until I finally was changed 
I've told you before, I heard the gospel at least 50 times before I came to truly know Jesus Christ as my Savior. So don't despair. Don't give up. Don't reject people because of their unbelief. Thank God he didn't reject me because of my unbelief. So once again, many of Jesus' followers have gathered together in that upper room in Jerusalem one week after the resurrection of Jesus. And this time, Thomas is with them. Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Once again, the doors are locked. Once again, Jesus suddenly appears among them. Once again, he says, peace be with you. And then he turns and he addresses Thomas directly, quoting back to him exactly what he had said he needed to see in order to believe. Note that. Jesus appeared a second time to this group for the sake of Thomas. The rest already believed. But Jesus appeared for the sake of Thomas. Because Thomas had been chosen for salvation and Jesus would see to it that Thomas would be saved. Jesus loses not one that the Father has given to him for salvation. Not one. Second, Jesus presented to Thomas his scars as proof that he was the Christ and that he had indeed suffered and died to secure for Thomas and for all who trust in him the forgiveness of our sins and the eternal life that we so desperately need. Jesus showed Thomas that he suffered in his place so that he would never have to experience the wrath of God that was due for his sins. John will later write in his first letter, in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. We celebrated that today. This is one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the sacrament of communion so that we will not forget the price that he paid to secure salvation for all who trust in him. So first, he appeared a second time for the sake of Thomas. Second, he presented to Thomas the evidence. And third, Jesus met Thomas right where he was at. Jesus lovingly and graciously gives Thomas exactly what he needs to believe. And in doing so, he revealed to Thomas his deity. He revealed to Thomas that he was all-seeing, all-hearing, and all-knowing. 
when Thomas had said what he said to the other disciples, Jesus was listening. Jesus was watching. Jesus knew Thomas's heart. And he met Thomas at that point. How could he have known what Thomas had said except that he was God and therefore knows all things? And listen to me. In the case of someone coming to faith in Christ, it is because Jesus graciously meets them where they are at. Amen? Amen. Amen. He reveals himself to the unbeliever in just the way we need him to. And in so doing, he causes us to be born again into spiritual life in Christ. No one is forced to become a believer in Christ. The Holy Spirit works on us in such a way that we desire to be a believer in Christ. And that's what happened to Thomas. And this leads us to the pinnacle of John's gospel. The culmination of 20 chapters of testimony regarding Jesus. It results in the greatest profession of faith found in the Bible. In verse 28, Thomas answered Jesus saying, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Thomas confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, something that we all must do for salvation. But he goes beyond that. He goes even further. For the first time, a man confesses that Jesus is God. Jesus had been referred to many times as the Son of God, but this is the first time he's declared to be God. And it was a profession that Jesus received gladly. He did not rebuke Thomas because it is true. Amen? He is God. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. What was true then is just as true today. Jesus is and always was God. John began his gospel by declaring that Jesus was and had always been God, and he ends his gospel by recording Thomas saying the same thing. James Boyce writes, quote, This is the high point of the gospel of John. This is the purpose for which it was written, so that others may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Look at verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Look at Jesus' response to Thomas in verse 29. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen 
and yet believe. Now, this is not a rebuke by Jesus, but this is a foretelling of what is to come. Thomas and the other disciples came to believe by seeing the risen Christ. But millions will come to believe in him not because they saw him with their physical eyes, but because he comes to them in his word through the faithful testimony of his witnesses. It is through his word that Jesus reveals himself to us and calls us to believe in him and trust in him as our Savior and our Lord. Jesus pronounces a blessing here upon the countless millions who, like us, have not yet seen him with our eyes, and yet we have believed and we've been born again into spiritual eternal life and all of the blessings that includes. Listen to me, Thomas was blessed that day to become a believer in Christ, and you can be blessed today by doing the same thing. And when you do, you will be changed. And you will never be the same. I guarantee it. For all of us who have already experienced this ourselves, we need to do what Thomas and the other disciples went on to do. We need to dedicate ourselves to serve as witnesses of Christ telling others of the good news of the gospel, telling others that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And we are blessed that God has given us ample evidence to believe. Amen? Praise the Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray.